0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening,
1: Pastor. Uh, good evening, to Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening to the program.
0: Pastor, last week we were talking about the topic of yoga and wrapping it up. But before we get back to that, there is a question that has come in from a listener. It came in right at the end of last week's episode. It says, Good night. If it is appointed unto man to die once, how then will there be a rapture and those raptured don't die?
1: Well, uh, the biblical order because of man's and the penal judgment is death. And that's the usual way in which most people will experience uh, life. They would live and they would die. Uh, but remember that uh, Christ's redemptive work um, has really transformed all of that. And therefore, God is now able to uh, intervene in such a way that uh, not all people are going to die because Christ is going to return. For example, um if we look at Philippians chapter one verse twenty-three and then Second uh, Corinthians five verse six to nine, uh, the death of Christ has brought about some changes in respect to uh, man and his death. And there you find in Philippians one twenty-three and Colossians and Corinthians Second Corinthians five six and nine. Could you read that for me, Nathan? Now, Philippians one
0: twenty-three. 23. That says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better.
1: Yeah, the point I'm making here is that under the Old Testament economy, uh, when a man died, uh, he didn't go directly to be with the Lord. Uh, we know that they went to an intermediate stage called Hades, or calling the Old Testament Sheol. But Christ's death has brought this transformation where uh, when a person dies, he goes directly to be, the Spirit goes directly to be the Lord. And then if you also look at Second Corinthians 5, 6, and 9.
0: 2 Corinthians five, 5, 6 to 9. 6 to 9 says the following, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are yet at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Verse 7, For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him.
1: Again, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That was not under the Old Testament economy. If you read Luke chapter 16 where the Lord explains the condition of man before the redemptive work of Christ was accomplished, you see that there's Hades proper and there is the compartment, therefore abraham's called Abraham's bosom, where the believers are comforted and the section where the unbelievers are tormented. So the transformation of Christ dying on the cross has brought about some changes in how God deals with man in respect to death. The other thing is that we're, we're told in the New Testament is that we're not all going to die and that there's going to be a time when we will be taken away and snatched up uh, in a twinkle of an eye. And that's found in, look at Second Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13.
0: Second Thessalonians
1: chapter four
0: verse thirteen. I uh, have a little technical issue here. Second Thessalonians four thirteen. Uh, maybe first Thessalonians.
1: Se- second.
0: Um. Uh, first Thessalonians four thirteen says, "But I would not have you to be ignorant, yeah, brethren, concerning yeah. them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope."
1: Yeah, uh, read the other section. Uh, Continue from verse oh. 13. Okay, verse 13. F- 14, no. Uh,
0: verse 14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Next verse. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep.
1: Yeah, so it's talking about the Lord bringing the those who have died with him, that will be the, the spirit of those who have died. He's coming back with them. And uh, we who are alive and remain will not, the word is prevent, but it means does not precede. Uh, precede them. And then he explains to us that uh, it, they're, they're going to be uh, changed and transformed. So notice that that's a radical change. Again, we're not all going to sleep. The other part that deals with this is also First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 to 57. Could you read that please? Yeah, 51 to 57? Yeah.
0: Alright. right. First Corinthians 51 15 51, 57 yeah. says behold i show you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed uh, scroll down for this corruptible must put on incorruption And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, the point I'm making there uh, is that notice that Paul describes this event as a mystery, something that was not unfolded in the Old Testament in respect to what, what will happen to the believers when our Lord returns. And notice the order, the dead in Christ shall be raised first, and then we which are uh, remain shall be changed. And notice the order, the dead raised, and then we are changed. And then he said in the moment in twinkle of night at the last trump, Uh, And it's interesting that the same passage in Thessalonians, it talks about at the trump of God as well. The point uh, we're trying to establish here is that because of Christ's redemptive work, not all men are going to die. There's going to be a second coming. There's going to be the rapture of the church. And the order in which it is done is that the believer who are dead will be raised first, and then those who are alive are going to be changed and transformed. Uh, it should also be noted that in the Old Testament there were also exceptions to human death. For example, Enoch never died. We're right. told that Enoch was translated, and the word translated there means to, to move from one location to the other. And we discovered that he was taken to heaven. If you check, check that in uh, Second Kings chapter two, verse eleven and twelve, and then all uh, and, sorry Genesis chapter two, verse twenty three and verse twenty four. Could you read that? Genesis three five, Genesis five twenty three to twenty four.
0: Alright, and all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him.
1: Right, he was translated. If you read uh, also in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, makes reference to, to Enoch, and it tells you what happened there.
0: Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God.
1: So he becomes an Old Testament type of the New Testament rapture. I've said repeatedly on this program, every single New Testament truth has an Old Testament principle or Old Testament type that, that, that uh, explains or shows what that will be. The other thing is that Elijah and never face death if you look at 2nd kings chapter 2 verse 11 and 12.
0: 2nd kings chapter 2 verses 11 and 12, 12 says and it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and elisha saw it, and he cried my father my father the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof, and he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces.
1: Yeah, that's a very clear illustration as well that uh, Elijah never suffered death, and he was taken directly to heaven. So the 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 uh, the affirmation and the um, the uh, precept that God has appointed man to die, but after the judgment, that is a norm for humanity but there is a second coming of our lord jesus christ where when he comes there'll be people who are alive and who will be remaining and therefore all of us are not going to die but remember this only relates to believers both in the Old Testament and the New Testament relates to the translation of believers Enoch was a believer who had faith in God and who was looking forward to the coming Messiah Elijah the prophet as well he had faith in God who was looking forward to the Messiah because of his faith in God Uh, he was translated and uh, similar with those who are here on earth when Jesus Christ comes back and returns only those people who have faith and trust in Christ as Savior will be uh, transformed and changed, so we will not die. And some people on this earth as well uh, will not be dead by the time our Lord returns, but of course they are going to the tribulation, God's wrath, and then we notice a coming day when all men will stand before God and give an account, the great white throne judgment and also the judgment seat of Christ. So that is not an absolute statement that it's a point of the man who wants to die there are there are people who are not going to die, uh, and those people are those who will remain when our Lord uh, uh, comes uh, before all humanity dies.
0: Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. Pastor, why do you figure that God chose to take Elijah and Enoch that way? I mean, is it safe to say they were the most spiritual men in the Old Testament?
1: Well, in the case of uh, Enoch, Enoch, um, uh, it was his walk with God. But remember, when he was was born, um, um, when Matusla, sorry, uh, was 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 uh, born, uh, Matusla's name was given that uh, when he dies, it will come, and the flood would come after that. But uh, clearly, in the case of Elijah, Elijah is a type, uh, I believe, a Old Testament type of what will take place before God judges his wrath. Remember that before the flood, Enoch was taken. Similarly, I think that is a, what you call a, a, a prototype of what would happen before God poses his wrath during the tribulation period, the saints would be taken. So I think that in God's mind, in God's thinking, in God's program... Uh, that God was in every case where there's a New Testament truth he illustrates that in the Old Testament and I think that was just presaging what will take place in New Testament times just as it took place in the Old Testament times
0: So it was for a purpose
1: Was a, Yeah always a divine purpose there's nothing in the Bible that that, uh, that is not there for a purpose the other thing principle I think too is the fact that they said that he walked with God when all men was walking away from God he walked with God and uh, the Lord took him it was a closeness uh, to the Lord as well that, that resulted in that in the case of elijah elijah uh it seems to me when i look at the actual taking of elijah that Elijah's ministry had uh, come to a close. Uh, Elijah had just been very disappointed. And, of course, he ran away from Jezebel. The Lord had told him, go and anoint Jehu, go and anoint uh, Elijah. It seems out of that one incident, the Lord had said, okay, your ministry is over. And that was handed off to another person called Elisha. So I think that uh, the fact that he showed this kind of, I don't want to say unbelief, to be honest by running from a woman but I think he reached a stage where the Lord said okay I think your ministry is over let me put somebody in your place so I think it's more I don't want to say it's a, a judgment as I say but I just think that uh, he had reached the end of his ministry in terms of his effectiveness and God was replacing him with Elijah Elisha
0: We have a question that has just come in from Trinidad Good night Just some questions for tonight's program on That's Truth The first one What was Lucifer's Ultimate sin that caused him to be cast down onto the earth.
1: Well, the ultimate sin, you'll find out in Isaiah, I think Isaiah 14, and you'll also find it, um, it mentioned somewhere in Ezekiel. But his ultimate sin was pride, uh, trying to be God, and uh, that's the ultimate reason why um, he fell. And he says, I will be like the Mosai, I will... Exalt myself above the clouds, etc, etc There are five uh, eyes there um, uh, that d- you find expressed in that portion in, in isaiah and it 's very clear that his' pride in trying to take the place of God and assume the place of God that led to his downfall and pride really is the premier sin of humanity, even in the case of Adam and Eve. The same pride that caused the enemy to fall is the same pride he appealed to the woman. You should be like gods, and you should know good and evil, and you should have this knowledge, quite frankly. So um, it's amazing how he's able to turn the tables on humanity and appeal to that base uh, element that caused him to fall. And so um, that the, ba- the basic problem with Satan was his pride.
0: Follow-up question, how can an angel have so much power to deceive and influence the world into a lifestyle of sin?
1: That is one of the great mysteries uh, that I don't think anybody can fully plumb the depths of why the Lord has allowed it. I somehow believe it. it, it is part of God trying to deal with the whole problem of uh, Satan himself and to do it justly, to be seen to be doing it justly. And I think man is part of that program. Uh, I, I think that it's important that when God acts, He's not seen to be vindictive. Remember that the angelic beings that are holy, and I really feel that I, I can't explain it in words that I would like to, and I'm not too sure I can fully plumb the depths of it, but I do believe that um, He is allowed to do what He's doing because it's part of God's design to wrap up this whole. Problem of of, of sin in the universe, to deal with it once and for all, and to absolutely legally, judicially judge Satan uh, for who he is so that he's not seen, God is not seen to be some kind of vindictive uh, person trying to take vengeance because uh, merely of Satan sinning against him. That's my view. But um, it is part of the great mystery where we have been allowed to be tested uh, down here. I would say this, however, that as long as we are moral beings, uh, we have to be given choices, and we were given a man was given a choice to either obey God or he was challenged to see what he would do respond to uh, temptation, and we know exactly what happened. He fell, and consequently, man became a sinner. But the, the reason why all of this has taken place the Bible doesn't give us a full explanation. We just wait in eternity for God to reveal to us that mystery that we don't understand ourselves.
0: And this next question, I can't say I've ever heard it, but it sure has me thinking, so I'm glad you're the one that's going to answer it. Can God forgive Lucifer for all his sins since he commands us to forgive those who have wronged us?
1: Well, it is very clear that Lucifer will never be forgiven. I mean, that's a, cl- that's a very clear point in the Scriptures. He's, 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 he's a... Um, And and remember that I think that angelic beings sinning sinning are not the same as human beings who have the element of flesh and they are spirit beings. So there must be something especially peculiar about being a complete spirit being. And uh, when you make a moral choice, it just seems as though uh, that choice is final. Um, But... um, there's no indication in the Bible uh, that there's any forgiveness at all for Satan and for his fallen angels, um, that rebellion. And by the way, you know, we are speaking from limited scope. We don't know how much time these angelic beings lived with God before they fell. We don't know what warnings were given to them uh, before, et cetera, et cetera. But what I can say to you that God is just and God is holy. And if there is uh, a clear indication in the Scripture that there's no hope for Satan and there's no room for repentance for him, there must be a a real uh, purpose behind that. And it's not a vindictive purpose, it's not an evil purpose, because God cannot do evil and God is holy. And again, that is one of the things that you and I are going to have to wait until we find an explanation as to how come we are allowed forgiveness and the angelic beings were not. But I will tell you this, I'm thankful that I am allowed forgiveness, <laughs> to Amen. be very honest with you. And I'm very appreciative that the Lord has been gracious to us human beings. Uh, but we don't know why uh, um, there's no opportunity for repentance for these fallen angels and Satan.
0: You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, a live interactive call-in program on Tuesday evenings from 7.30 until 9 p.m. Time across Eastern Caribbean is 7.50 on this Tuesday evening. If you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air. The phone line is open, available, and awaiting your call. And the number to be put live on the air is 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 268-782-1454. Or you can join us on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your questions right there on your device. Pastor, last week I think we actually spent the last two weeks talking about yoga, if I remember correctly. And at the end of last week's program, you were talking some thoughts about hatha yoga. I believe that's the exercise yeah, yoga. Yeah. Uh, what it, is
1: it benign? I wanted to. I'm glad we uh, come back to this for just a moment. So uh, because a lot of people do think it's benign, but again, those who uh, founded it. And remember that it is based on a classical textbook called Hatha Yoga uh, uh, Pradipika. It's written by a guy called S. vat Marana, who is a, uh, in about the 15th century AD. And uh, in his first three verses of that particular book, uh, he said that the ignorant masses could not come to the level of what you call Raja Yoga, which is yoga of the mind, So what was needed was to introduce a a lower form of this yoga called Hatha Yoga. But Hatha Yoga is a staircase that would lead eventually to the same thing they want to accomplish with Raja Yoga. Uh, In other words, um, he said, for example, that the postures and the breathing... Uh, that are involved in this Hatha Yoga, which we call these exercises. The design of all of it is to free up the spiritual elements uh, in a person. And it was designed, basically, uh, that through these exercises, to uh, facilitate um, an altered state of, of consciousness. The second thing he said about this whole matter, that it was designed to foster, by practicing these postures, etc., you uh, give you a strong power of your will, Uh, It would give you the ability to have concentration and uh, be able to withdraw yourself from, you know, physical things, uh, uh, from uh, sense things. And the whole purpose of that, of course, is that eventually it would lead you to a greater sense of meditation, which is part also of the yoga. The other thing that he says is that when you exercise these postures and you go through this meditation that it leads you to, the whole purpose is to open those channels of energy so that this uh, prana, which is this universal force, can come up through these chakras and then come up to the center of uh, the top of your head, basically, which is the chief place that you are. So these exercises always have had, and always Still have a Hindu spiritual purpose to it. The problem with the West, as I said before, is that people go through these exercises without fully being told, and if they're told, and not to sure it matters to them any longer, but as long as it has to, to, to improve what they call some of their physical bodies and tone their bodies and make them feel healthier, they'll go through these exercises without understanding that there are Hindu spiritual elements involved in this whole thing. And that, that's the real, real danger of it, because uh, the guy also said there's no difference between Hatha yoga. And Kangalini uh, Yoga, the whole purpose of this is to release this this force that's the base of your spine, let it come through yep, your nervous system, come through these channels, come through the chakra, and then go up to the top of your head. Basically, it's the the only difference between the two of these is that one takes longer than the other, but ultimately the purpose is the same.
0: Pastor, we have a caller from Antigua. Thank you
1: for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening. Hi, good evening, sir. How are you? I am fine, thank you. How are you there, Mr. Williams?
2: Uh, good
0: night. What can we do for you tonight?
2: Yeah, uh, Pastor, I mean, that's a question. Sure. Can we, have, um, we have a preacher man preach and said that for 43 years he has been saved. And if by one mistake he don't repent for a night,
1: uh-huh. if he will
2: die and he will he, he go to hell. I don't believe that, but I want to hear your your your
1: take on that. Well he's a pretty miserable man to be very honest with you. I, I don't <laughs> know how you could ever enjoy the Christian faith. <laughs> Look, uh we are those who believe to the saving of the soul, uh eternal saving of the soul. The Bible makes that quite clear. The Bible says no man is able to pluck them out of my man, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, no never ever perish. That's the 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 the, the Greek language, that it's very emphatic that there's no possibility that the believer is going to perish Uh, so a person like that basically is a person who doesn't have real genuine saving faith Uh, he doesn't uh, in my judgment understand what eternal salvation is and he is i would suggest to you that he has a works form of salvation and he's depending on his strength to keep him safe so, if he make a mistake he 's thinking that God is going to damn him, but no no Christian can ever live a joyful, happy, confident life with that kind of a mind posture. Uh, it must be a very miserable situation to be in, and quite frankly uh, it to my mind, he believes in a work salvation uh, i i can 't see it other way it 's more that he he keeps himself if he can 't keep himself, therefore uh, he's lost. Paul said, he which has begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you are truly saved, that's a promise that you will. he will continue to perform. You know, and our Lord has will never lose a sheep. If a sheep belongs to him, the sheep will never be lost. Uh, it is very, very clear uh, as far as that is concerned. So this is a person who believes in save and loss, and uh, a person who holds to that position, I cannot see how they can ever truly enjoy the Christian experience. And I think it must be a very miserable life to him to be preaching, pastoring, or whatever, 43 years, and constantly thinking that he has this this, this, uh, this sort of democ- democles over his head, that if he makes one mistake, that's the end of it. And if he would have dropped dead with that one mistake without making repentance, he's lost. That's a miserable life to be in. That's not the biblical uh, life that the Bible talks about.
2: Well, yes, I believe that. I believe in my one to save, genuine save. You are with save because if you explain First Corinthians chapter 5, uh-huh. in, in, like, that's a great example.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, know. because the example you got there, you remember the guy uh, who was. Fun- I do know if you've heard the same person, where the person was messed up and Paul said, you know, turn me over Satan, that his body be destroyed, but his soul, is spirit clever, be saved. Chapter five. Yeah, and his soul be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. So mm-hmm. clearly, that's a very good example that a person can be saved, uh, get away from the Lord, and uh, n- not even repent, and he's turned over to for Satan to destroy his body. But even though his body is destroyed, his spirit is saved in the day of Jesus Christ. That's a very good example. Uh,
2: and Pastor for the last time, uh, and explain when the Bible talks about nothing in Christ cannot sin and will not sin, for his sin remains in him? What does the Bible... Does
1: well, again, the, the, it doesn't, what it says that he that is born of God does not sin, but the word there in the Greek text is habitually sin. In other words, it's not that a believer can't sin, but sinning is not a way of life of the believer. Uh, a believer can fall into sin, but it will always be prompted by the Holy Spirit that uh, this spirit, this thing is wrong, or the Word of God as he reads it, uh, and he's brought to repentance and faith. So, uh, it's not saying that a believer can never sin. As a matter of fact, that same chap- that same book says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Mm-hmm. Right? So, it's, it's just saying that the habitual lifestyle of, of, of sinning uh, is not a mark of a person who is a believer, but it's not suggesting that a believer can't sin, it's just like, you know, to use an illustration, a sheep is different than a pig. Yeah. You could take a pig and wash it off and powder it and, and uh, pamper it and, and put perfume on it and, and spray on the arm, the urine on it. And you could just clean him up thoroughly. You let him go for one minute and he sees <laughs> a pool of mud. He goes into the mud, goes into the mud. Yeah. A sh- you, you get a sheep now that falls into the mud. He doesn't stay in the mud yeah. He doesn't f- he, because it's against his nature. To be that way And when we get saved We have the divine nature in us And uh, the Bible Is very very clear That the believer Has victory over sin And uh, To ha- Habitually Keep on practicing This same sin Again and again And again and again Should cause that person To examine themselves To see if they're in the faith But it doesn't mean That if you sin uh, You're not saved Or you're lost It's just that John is saying That uh, he that is born again Does not habitually Practice sin That's what he's saying
2: and Pastor it has some domination that calling that saying that we're not supposed to call Jesus. Jesus is, is just us. What the difference is that and why not supposed
1: to call Jesus what?
2: Jesus. Like like I don't know. Some people like how the Spanish should pronounce it Jesus, something like that.
1: You mean Jesus? Yes. Jesus. But
2: so they say if Jesus calling Jesus is is the wrong is the wrong is the wrong way to call him? <laughs>
1: Look, there's something called ignorance, okay, and uh, it, 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 it didn't. Uh, it's not something that died with people in the, you know, in, in the past. A lot of these people don't even know what they're saying. They don't understand. Look, the word Jesus is the Greek word, okay, but the word Jesus, when it's translated into English, is the word Jesus. It's the same thing, quite frankly. So when you call Jesus, you're calling Jesus because it's just the English. Pronunciation of the of the Greek word Jesus. So to 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 make that su- that kind of a uh, subtle distinction, and to you know to make the suggestion that you can't call Jesus Jesus, you must call him Jesus, it's, it's just so silly. That it's not even worth uh, uh, really talking about. I, I'm I'm you know I'm I'm so confused. Not really confused. I'm so disappointed with people who. Um, Because of their ignorance of the Scripture and the lack of proper interpretation, not knowing either the Greek or the Hebrew, not even understanding the language, how they get away with these things uh, tells us that we're in a very poor state of people understanding uh, the Scriptures, and they can make such a big point of a matter that is so elementary that it baffles me the level of uh, biblical ignorance that pervades society. And that's where we are today. We are living in a generation that is biblically ignorant because they were not brought up in the Bible. We took the Bible out of schools. We don't send our children to church any longer. And uh, we, the old generation, still hold to these things, but this other generation is a a generation that is lost when it comes to biblical truth. We are in a sad state of biblical ignorance. Let me put it that way. Okay, Yes sir. You're welcome sir. God bless.
0: Thank and you very much. Yes, thank you very much for the call. Have a safe rest of the night and continue to encourage others to tune in to that truth. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Do you have a question that you would like answered? It can be about life, it can be about the Bible, about any topic. Feel free to call in and Pastor Murphy will answer your question from a biblical worldview. You can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Pastor Murphy, we have a question that has come in from Antigua. Good night, gentlemen, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 2 it's normally said that the sons of god is describing angels is it that angels have flesh to reproduce with humans or do they have spirit or are they spirit beings who can appear to man and is it that there are any different angels or are all spirit beings meaning that they do not have flesh like man does
1: look we dealt with this at some in the past, and I'm going to suggest that uh, Brother Nathan maybe give you that, that that particular broadcast when we dealt with it. But we we talked about uh, Genesis chapter six and, and what was the significance of that event? Uh, the mistake that is made there is that uh, people talk about the the daughters of women and the sons of uh, sons of God. One referring to the Sethites, and one referring to the Canaanites. That that is a myth. Okay if you want to do proper biblical interpretation you take the word sons of god and you trace it in the bible see when it's next mentioned, when it's next mentioned. you can't inject your own meaning into something when the bible already uh through the process of comparing parallel passages tell you exactly what it is when you come to the book of job which is perhaps the one of the oldest books of the bible quite frankly uh he lived in the patriarchal days you'll find that the sons of god there refer to angelic beings uh so and that is why Peter talks about angels that left the first estate are reserved in change of punishment and are not don't have the liberty and freedom that some angels have because they' have violated the the uh line that God had drawn between men and angels, and these fallen angelic beings uh which and by the way, we all know that angels have the capacity to materialize. You check in the uh the Gospels when the angels appeared. And you check in the Old Testament as well, they appear as men, quite frankly, so we know that they have this capacity to materialize uh, which becomes the mystery is the fact is can we told in the uh, scriptures that the angel the that people are not given in marriage in the future, they are like the angels in heaven, so we know that pure holy angelic beings do not have uh any uh in other words they do not reproduce, but fallen angels that are perverted. Uh, clearly uh, what we, we see is that it's a possibility that this has happened. This happened before, and God has taken those angelic beings and put them in. They don't have liberty and freedom like the other fallen angels have because they clearly violated the parameters that God has set between uh, spirit beings and human beings. Um, we're entering a realm of mystery here again. What what I think is very significant is that every single uh, nation that has mythology has the idea of the gods mingling with the with human beings? There is something uh, uh, in in the human history that there was some commingling between these spirit beings and human. And all of these uh, stories always talk about uh, men with superpowers born, et cetera, et cetera, great giants, et cetera. Et cetera. So uh, that is my um, given on given on that, and I think that it can be defended in the scriptures, and I think it's a stretch of imagination to suggest as dealing with the Sethites and the Canaanites. Uh, that's not what that passage is all about. So I don't know if I answered to your question satisfactorily. I would like to say that we, we, you know, sometimes we try to delve into a realm that the Bible has been very, very reserved in giving us detailed information. And I don't like to go too much into the realm of speculation because it always leads to all kind of weird interpretations of the Bible. But, um, so I, I don't know what else to t- tell you. Uh, and I don't think there's, I I do know this, another thing i like to say this, I do know that today that they have able spirits that try to have relations with human beings. There's some of them call incubus and succubus, who, who deal with uh, occult and demons, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I know from uh, knowledge, personal knowledge of person who's, had that kind of a, an, uh, an encounter, that this is real. This is people who are not people. I can that, that speak lies and, and, and misrepresent things. Uh, we don't know how this happens, but I do know one thing: that when you got a devil that is evil as Satan is, and he has his minions, uh, there is no level of depravity that is beyond the possibility of these fallen angels. Uh, they lead people into all kinds of immorality, and that's why they're called unclean spirits, and the extent to which they can exercise this meth- this, uh, this means, we're not given great detail, we're just given uh, very quick snapshots of, of of these kind of situations. But we can be very, very sure that any common depravity that you see humanity committing today, that f- these fallen angelic beings are far worse Than what man has done And there's no doubt that behind a lot of the perversion you see today Are fallen demonic powers That are brought about this level of perversion Trying to, um, as it were, to confuse the genders Confuse um, sexuality, confuse marriage There's no doubt that they're all trying to destroy the standard that God has set To create massive confusion and apostasy away from God
0: Thank you to the individuals who have sent in questions thus far, Pastor. Is yoga compatible with christianity
1: well it 's very obvious from what we 've said those who are listening would would probably have come to the conclusion that there 's absolutely no way in which there is a compound really between yoga and Christianity uh, Remember that this this idea of prana that you are trying to release uh, through different forms of meditation, and these different postures, and this, this universal energy power that comes through the spinal cord, coming through the chakras, and have these particular channels, etc., etc. Remember that this universal power is an impersonal, universal life energy force, and it's a pantheistic force. It's a force that is in you, and that is also in the world, quite frankly. That is pantheism, and that is really saying to you that inside you, you have a little god and that you need to merge with the, the greater god that is pantheism that is atheism not that is a, a form of idolatry so clearly that is not compatible with the believer the form of meditation again is is one of two things you you in in yoga you either empty your mind and allow this ...forced to take over so that you lose consciousness of the sense world and into the the, the world of mind uh, where you don't have any control. Or you focus on a particular sub-object, uh, whatever that object is, until you lose consciousness. And again, you are releasing control of your mind... To be invaded by these uh, in my judgment, spirit powers that begin to take over you. So that is not compatible with Christianity, with the form of meditation. The, the the biblical meditation is always on the scriptures, is always on God and His works and his attributes. Uh that's the focus on on biblical meditation. But never is it the idea you surrender your mind to nothingness and let something take over your mind. The other thing is that um yoga is a self path to salvation it is you doing certain things to merge with god so that you you are actually delivered uh from your bondage to this world of sense quite frankly so it's not it's not a salvation based on the redemptive work of a savior uh is not savior centered it is self centered it is a, a man's works salvation quite frankly that is incompatible with christianity which makes it quite clear that only faith in jesus christ and his finished work is what will save man and deliver man the other thing is that the bible commands us to avoid teachings that are are practices that contradict or oppose scripture uh look at romans 16:17 uh nathan
0: Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 11 and a half minutes after 8, 8, 8 p.m. Romans 16. 17. Says Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned, and avoid them.
1: Very, very clear. If you have a, a movement teaching a doctrine that is contrary to what we receive from Scripture, which is called the the good doctrine, the holy doctrine, the biblical doctrine, mark them and avoid them. You don't associate with them. That is very clear. And there's nothing in yoga that is compatible with Christian doctrine and Christian teaching. Also look at first Timothy chapter six, verse twenty and twenty
0: 1 Timothy six, twenty and twenty one says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen.
1: Yeah, very, very clear. There are things that are you know that Paul calls Babylon, he called of science. Called false. that science means knowledge. falsely called called that way, and uh, Paul is saying to avoid that. You know, don't 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 mingle with it. Don't don't uh, don't dialogue with it. Quite frankly, you stay away from it. And then look at Second John um, one seven to eleven. First, Second John first, yeah. Second John one seven, 7 to eleven, 11. Yeah. It
0: says. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the Father and the Son. How far do you want me to go? No,
1: that's that's good. I mean, that gives you an idea. Quite frankly, that the measure by which a Christian must associate with any kind of a group, etc., what do they teach about Christ and the doctrine about Christ? And uh, clearly, uh, because the yoga is based on Hindu philosophy and Hindu uh, spiritual principles, it is completely incompatible with the Christian faith and compatible with who Christ is. Uh, and uh, that, in itself, should warn believers that they should not be part of this system. I would say to people who think it to be having to be healthy and to have their body stoned, nothing wrong in doing your normal exercises and doing your walking and doing your stuff like that. But you don't have to go and to use this Hindu means. Uh, which are designed to put you in different postures to release this energy force in you and the Congolini force, etc., etc. Whether you know that it's, it's, it's the plan or the purpose of it, uh, it doesn't really matter. There is a spiritual root to this whole thing. And you're warned against it in scripture, quite frankly, uh, and I would suggest to believers to stay away from it and don't get involved in this type of matter. You're you're dealing with occult practices, you're dealing with something that has evil supernatural powers that are being released, and you are going to find yourself in in bondage and in spiritual warfare if you as a Christian get involved in this type of uh, practice.
0: Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that's come in from Antigua in relation to Romans 5.13, which says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And the question is, good evening, Romans 5.13. Can you shed some light on the part that sin was not imputed to man before the law, which I assume was the Mosaic law? Can I also assume that the law is our con is?" The law in our conscience may have ruled before this.
1: Uh, read it again, please. I'm trying to. The question sort, or the verse. Yeah, yeah the What the verse? The, the question?
0: The question. Uh, the first part. Can you shed some light on the part that sin was not imputed to man before the law?
1: Let me let me re- let me let me uh, respond to that next week in the greater detail because I could I can give a very. Quick answer uh, But I need to uh, I need to To deal with it To a great extent Uh, What I would say On a general basis That um, Sin as Transgression Sin as uh, Against a defined law could not be imputed to man because there was no specific law regulating man. Okay, so when it comes to sin in the, in the in the aspect of transgression, it could not have been imputed to man, other than the fact that in that there was one command given to man in Genesis chapter three, that is that he must not partake of the fruit of tree of good evil. That is, is is transgression. But the other forms of sin, up until the the law was given, there was no there was no legal basis. For that to be treated as a transgression per se, uh, so that we might initially respond, and the law was given of course, to make sure that man understood what god 's regulations were, what the principles were, and when man willfully then had a legal document as it were, with these specifications, then when that is done, that is seen as an act of transgression, so uh, you need the the law for the uh, sin to be seen in the element of transgression. But but if you read also in in the same passage, it said that even though that the sin was not imputed in that form of transgression, yet man died. Uh, There was still death. In other words, man still died, and what brings brings death? Sin. Sin was in the world before even the law came, and it was not seen in that dimension of transgression, but it still was sin in the sense that man did not come up to the standard, missed the mark. But it did not have that element of transgression until there was a clear, defined legal document that specified what was sin. That was not in existence until the law came.
0: Thank you to the individual who sent in that question, and we will return to it at the beginning of next week's episode, Lord willing. Pastor, we have been, over the last month or two, talking about different cults, different world religions that have not been discussed thus far here on That's Truth. And we're gonna approach another topic tonight or another one of these world religions or cults, and it is that of World Missionary Society, Church of God. What is that? I've never heard of it.
1: Well the I never heard of it until uh or youth pastor drew to my attention that there is a group here in antigua and i believe he told me from south korea uh especially ladies who are propagating uh this new religious movement and um that first of all i never heard of them and then i understand that the thing that they are uh, pushing here in antigua is what they call there's a mother god and that's the first thing that awakened in me that hey this might be a cult movement of some kind that that's now coming to antigua so I um, I decided to do some investigation of it to find out exactly what do these people really believe, and uh, what are the the doctrines, and of course how they got started, etc. etc. So I would say to you that it's a relatively new religious movement that was started in South Korea in 1964, and it was started by a guy called An Sang Hong. That was his name. Uh, originally, it was called the Church of Jesus Christ Witnesses, um, and then after he died uh, in 1985, uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Kim Jo Shiol and uh, a lady called Zhang Gil Ja, uh, who was the wife of the former pastor Ang Sang Hong. Uh, they came together and they changed the name, to, first of all, to the Witness of Ang Song Hong uh, Church of God. Uh, and then they wanted to make some changes in it. And they wanted to uh, basically talk about two things to change. They want to say that Aang Sang Yong Hong was Jesus in the Second Coming, and that his wife was the uh, Mother God. Uh, so that is that was a unique teaching that they started um, saying, and uh, this became a means now of um, new doctrine, new teaching. As a matter of fact, they claim that Sang Young is both Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. So they believe in something what we call modalism. That uh, God manifests Himself in three different modes that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are the same person, but just that one time He acts as the Father, the next as the Son, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They don't believe in the Trinity we believe in the Trinity. But the peculiar doctrine is that this woman is actually uh, God the Mother. Uh, you had a question there, something?
0: Yeah, we have a caller. We'll come back to this topic, World Missionary Society, Church of God. But uh, n- until we, until then, we have a caller. Codrington, thank you for calling. Go ahead with your question, please. Yeah,
3: um, I want to. Um, good night to all your panel. Good evening. Uh, I have a question for you all. Um, remember when um, Jesus went out after he got baptized, he went out into the wilderness to just tempted by the devil? Yes. Okay. Um, where, how did the devil look when he went out out um, to tempted? And after he finished tempted by the devil, how a minister looked? when uh, um, the angels and them come and minister unto him? Why did they have to come and
1: minister unto Jesus after he finished with the temptation? Well, well two things. Uh, remember that Jesus is this last Adam. So the first Adam failed and the Lord sent the last Adam or this, what is called the second man, quite frankly, because the first Adam was the federal head of humanity. All, the, all humans were seen as in Adam the first Adam, and God is going to create a new, a new, a new generation, a new age, a new, a new, um, a new entity called the Church, and all believers are seen in Christ. That's the first thing. The Christ, Adam was the federal head of the old creation; Christ is the federal head of the new creation. The same way that all humanity was seen in Adam, all believers are seen in Christ. That's the first thing you need to understand. Uh, and this, remember that Adam was a man that was tempted uh, and, and tested and Adam failed. The second Adam also had to be tested because he is performing redemption for where the first Adam failed. So it's just that the first Adam was tempted and, and tested. This uh, new person, Jesus Christ, who's coming to flesh, he also has to go through the same testing and tempting. The difference between that one had a perfect garden, everything he wanted, the other one is placed in the wilderness. So he's put at a disadvantage, quite frankly. In other words, if you don't understand the biblical teaching in, first Green, in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, where Christ is seen as the last Adam and, and, and uh, Adam is seen as the first Adam, you've got to understand the federal role that these people play. The other thing is this. We don't know what Satan looked like. All I will say to you, he didn't have a fork, he didn't have a tail, and he wasn't red, okay? <laughs> That's the fiction that we have today about Satan. Uh, Satan is one of the, uh, from the biblical teaching, an uh, 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 angel of immense beauty. Uh, as a matter of fact, the vanity of his beauty got to his head and led to his pride. We learn in the Old Testament, so we don't know exactly what he looked like, but clearly he he appeared as a, a an angelic being. Our Lord knew who he was, and uh, and so on. The question of why he um, why angels need to minister to Christ after the temptation, because if you read the temptation, he went forty days without eating or drinking. And uh, the devil said to him, Turn these stones into bread. You know, uh, you have the power to do it. But again, uh, Christ has to fulfill the role as a man. Remember when he was on earth, he lived as a man. Understand that. Even though he's God in the flesh, he never uses supernatural power to help himself. He had to live the same way Adam lived as a man because man sinned. This man, Jesus, will prove that man doesn't have to sin. So... The, the, the same trials that you would have had and I would have had being forty years with days without food and water you would have been exhausted and tired and weary and uh that's exactly what 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 Christ went through so all the temptations he'd been through is after a forty year period of fasting so he like your body and my body would be so exhausted and I, I, I don't think you and I understood fully what it means to be tempted a pure holy being that has never known a a scintilla of evil is now tempted by this evil being and, and and saying to him if you be the son of god if you be the son of god now can you imagine you have all power to destroy this being but because you've come to redeem humanity and live as a man to die as a man you have to endure this you remember when he was on the cross as well they say he saved others while he can't come down and save himself uh, imagine what constraint it would require for a person who has infinite power to restrain himself to respond to this temptation but he has to live as a man just like the first Adam so by the time this temptation is all over he's tired he's exhausted and just like in the Old Testament when Elijah ran away and he was exhausted and he went by the the, 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 uh, the brook and the Lord had to send a raven to feed him and sent angels to woke Elijah up and said why are you here Elijah and he said, Take, eat, and uh, drink. The same way in the Old Testament, you had uh, men ministered by angels to meet their physical needs. Christ, as a man, limbs of the man, acts of the man, indoors of a man, those angelic beings ministered to him as it did in the Old Testament. Just because he, he was, he's playing the role of, of man living as a man would live, not using his supernatural power to help himself. You will never find anywhere in the Gospels where Christ ever uses supernatural power to help himself. He lived as a man to show us how a man ought to live. And we can't claim that because he was God, that's why he did what he did. We gotta understand we have the same spirit that was in Christ when he was from the time he was born, he had the same spirit. So he lived in dependence on the Holy Spirit while he was on planet Earth and only exercised his divine power when it came to helping others, but never to himself. Okay,
3: um remember when the angels we go to Mary, um the angel gave um, tells you about the birth of Jesus Christ is the same angel that did go to um, Jesus to minister unto him to bring him back to, to life. and so. Well again,
1: we're entering the realm of speculation because we're not told exactly what, what angelic beings went and ministered to Christ but we are told that Gabriel went to Joseph and uh, told Joseph, you know, uh, look, don't put her away. Uh, what is conceived of her, the Holy Spirit, and then when, again, Herod was going to kill the child, the angel appeared to Joseph and said, take the child down to Egypt, etc., etc. That is God used. And remember that in the book of Hebrews, it says that the angels are ministering spirits to them who are ears of eternal life. So God has used angelic beings in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and no doubt, uh, presently, at times as well, to help and aid believers, etc. But we can only enter the realm of speculation if we think that it is the same angel that went to Mary, the same angel that went to, to it went to uh, to Christ. We don't know, and uh, we can't speculate and, and make any definitive statement on that one.
0: Codrington, thank you for your questions. Thank you for the call, and keep listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8:27. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM and 92.3 FM. If you have a question, you can call, and we put live on the air, 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. You can also send in your question on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and right there on your device, while you're listening to the program, watching behind the scenes, you can also comment in the comments section, and your question will be passed along to Pastor Murphy. So, Pastor, back to World Missionary Society Church of God. You would consider it a cult?
1: Oh, there's no question about it a cult. Uh, and by the way, the headquarters is in Korea. Um, and the other thing I would like to say uh, about them is that they see... Uh, that Christ has returned in the second coming. In this, this guy that founded the church, uh, they say Ang Sang Hong was actually the second coming of Christ, uh, and they they teach that quite frankly. And then, of course, as I mentioned, that they've now got this new theory that his wife, um, whose name was um, Zhang Gilja is the mother god. Quite frankly, so it's a it's a cult. what I've discovered as well that it has a lot of mixture. For example, it has the element of Catholicism in it because they emphasize the mother, the goddess. And remember Mary, according to the Catholic Church, has been taken up to heaven, and she's now queen of heaven. So they've taken that element of elevating a woman to a goddess in it. The other thing I discovered is that it has the element of one Pentecostalism. One Pentecostalism believes that in the same modalism that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God are all one. It's just that we would say that there are three persons within the Godhead, it's one essence, quite frankly. They say that there's uh, no, no, there's one person and three methods of, three modes of expressing himself. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are the same. So they got that element. and The other thing I discovered is that they emphasize the Sabbath. You must keep the Sabbath, like the Seventh-day Adventist. And he came out of Seventh-day Adventist Church before he founded this church, by the way. The other thing is that the other thing that they have element of Herbert W. Armstrong in it, uh, the World Church of God. And I, I, I said that because they emphasize the keeping the seven feasts in the Old Testament, okay. and they present the idea that God is a family, with the mother and the father. Quite frankly, that's it, Herbert W. Armstrong. So he's saying to me that he has put all of these in a blender a theological blender and come up together with this new kind of theory. But it's a a very recent um, uh, movement, and uh, it is growing fairly quickly, to be very honest with you. It's shocking when you discover how how fast it is going.
0: Give me the dates again as to when it approximately... It was started
1: in 1964, that particular movement, and then uh, after the guy died in 1985, it was taken over by... The two persons I mentioned, Zhou uh, Shiol uh, Kim and Zhang Jia, Zhang Jil took it over.
0: I'm sure we'll get to this, but I'm curious: Do they claim to follow the same Bible that you and I read?
1: Of course, they claim. That. That's the problem here: that they take the Bible, and, and you could, as I said, you know, if you don't have a proper method of interpretation, which is called biblical hermeneutics, you can always make the Bible teach anything you want it to say. And uh, quite frankly, that's what has happened. They've taken the Scriptures out of context, stripped it, and tried to bring it in line with their peculiar form of theology. And, And that is what has happened with this particular group.
0: Pastor, we have a question that has come in. They say, can you please also explain forgiveness? I've recently gotten a message from someone who's a covert narcissist who has done so many despicable things to my sanity, taunting, blatantly lying about my character just to keep about anyone they can to convince. Some of this is sick stuff you will see in Lifetime movies. I have chosen peace and left them to their devices. They've taken away every possible way that I show God love toward them in the home And I just continued as though it didn't bother me. They've now asked me to forget who's right or wrong and that it's futile holding grudges. I'd like to move past this, but I don't believe them one bit. It's just a power play to make me confused again. Would you say I'm living in unforgiveness by not taking the bait?
1: Well, look, I I don't know the whole situation. Um why all, I mean, what what's really is, is happening and going on, and you know, I don't know all the details. What I would say to you is that uh, you live with that situation. You've been able to evaluate the the, uh, the, uh, the other person. So um, reality is, is, is what you have seen. It's not what a person says that changes reality. Uh, I would say to you that forgiveness... Has two conditions for forgiveness, and the Bible talks about it has to be there has to be confession and there has to be repentance. If it's not repentance and confession, uh, forgiveness, quite frankly, for a person uh, is not really scriptural. Um, I can give you verses to that, but I can't give you right off my head. I actually dealt with that this week um, uh, to, to, because somebody asked me the same question. Uh, about this matter And I went doing an investigation To find out exactly How that There are four, three different words In the Greek language For forgiveness And I, I was doing a study On it quite frankly And then I began to look At what are the conditions Of forgiveness And you will find That if your brother Repents You forgive him And also there's a passage that talks about if you confess your sins, quite frankly. So there has to be repentance and confession in order to give. But just giving a blank uh, forgiveness only leads the person to keep repeating the same thing again and again and again. I I would say this. We Christians, I always think you should have a forgiving attitude. Don't misunderstand me. You should always have a forgiving attitude. But I think we've got to be very, very careful uh, that we don't... um, encourage people to keep on doing the same thing again and again and again and again by just not holding them accountable in, in, in matters like this so i i would say to you uh who's who's asked this question maybe you can uh call me and i will give you the particular verses that, that talk about the conditions of, of uh forgiveness and also give you the the greek words what they mean and uh, how you apply, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's the best thing I could do. I could do a program, on a whole program on forgiveness in the Scriptures, and maybe we should look at doing that uh, at some point in time. I don't think I've done that already, have I?
0: I don't think so, but I will look into it. Please, and, yeah. Uh,
1: but I would like, if we haven't done it, I'd like us to do a program on it to, to go through the biblical teaching on this particular matter. But uh, I would say to the person there... Um, you if the person keeps repeating the same thing again and again and again and again and again and again, and again and there's no real significant change uh don't make the people person think that you are unchristian or that you are insane or somehow you have a bizarre um hardness of heart uh the element of confession and repentance are the two preconditions for a person uh, to be granted forgiveness and uh, don't just give in because you feel pressured by other people. Hold that. If a person, if a person really wants true forgiveness, and really wants a relationship to be restored, they want to hear exactly how you got hurt, why you got hurt, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then. Uh, uh, if it can be shown that there's legitimate basis for what was uh, illegitimate basis for what has been done and there's wrong that's been done, that person will be willing to say, Listen, I was wrong uh, uh, about the matter. I I, I I confess that this is wrong. Um, I want to change my mind. That's what repent means change of mind, change of attitude. Okay, so there must be not just a verbal saying that I, I'm sorry. Word sorry doesn't exist in the Bible, okay? I repent, which means I change my mind, I change my attitude, etc., etc. And uh, you should, um, on the basis of confession and a change of attitude, you grant forgiveness. And basically forgiveness has to do with re- releasing the person of whatever penalty was due uh, as a result of the offense. So you don't hold it against that person once they've generally sought uh, repentance and, gra- and, and and made confession that they had done wrong and wanted forgiveness, but don't just um, um, quickly and without even demanding anything, just this just um, so you're not it's alright It it'll keep repeating itself again and again and again and again and again and you keep frustrating yourself again and again and again so um, just bear that in mind, mind that uh, the preconditions of forgiveness is confession and re- repentance and confession and if that person is not willing to do that uh, always have the disposition you're willing to forgive but uh, until they they make some kind of correction in this matter uh, I think you're making a big mistake by just um Assuming that, uh, given the assumption that everything is okay and things can be restored to normal, um, it cannot be done unless there's repentance and confession.
0: Thank you to the individual who sent in that very heartfelt question. Could sense your emotion and your feelings and your question. We appreciate you listening. We hope that 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 answer uh, gave you some assistance and. We will be getting you in contact with Pastor Murphy at the end of the program, uh, so you can be in touch with him later this week. We have about 22 minutes left in tonight's episode, and we are talking about another cult, the World Missionary Society Church of God. But we have a question, that, or a caller, that has just called in. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please.
1: Yes, good evening. All right, good evening. How are you doing? I'm not done too badly. Good hearing your voice again.
4: Okay. Um, Revelation 7, verses 9 to 15.
0: All right, those verses say... After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence they came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, and he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And verse 15, Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them.
1: Yes, what's your question? uh Nathan? Yes. In verse 9,
4: it says, and after this I beheld. Uh-huh. Now, after what is John saying here?
1: Well, I, I don't have the passage, but if you read the, uh, the verse that came before, maybe you should read verse 1 to 9. Nathan, help me. Yeah, there. I can do that.
0: Okay, so just as a point of reference, verse 9 is the beginning of a new section of the Chapter okay. entitled "The Great Multitude of Every Nation," and the first part of the chapter is the hundred and forty-four thousand of Israel sealed. Okay. Uh, yeah.
1: Well, I, let me now, now I get the the context. Quick, frankly, the 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 hundred and forty-four thousand is seen before um, verse nine. So he's dealing with the hundred and forty-four thousand. After this, this is the hundred and forty-four thousand who are going to be. The witnesses, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel, these are going to be the global evangelists during the tribulation period. After the church is raptured, when our Lord returns, God now regrafts Israel into his plan, and God has in his sovereignty selected 144,000 Jewish evangelists that will go into all the world proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom is coming, uh, etc. As a result of their witness, you have a great multitude. Uh, that no man could number. This has to do with the reaping of the harvest of souls that will be saved during the tribulation period. This is the great mass that you see in, in, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 14. So after the work of these 144,000 evangelizing during the tribulation period, remember that the Lord seals 144,000 with a, a mark that no man can harm them uh, while they are doing their evangelistic work. So, as a result of their ministry uh, of, of you know doing what the church should be doing, you have this massive group of people who were converted during the tribulation period.
4: Yes, um, and we, as the congregated in heaven, are here on the earth.
1: Well, the, before the throne, you, you, remember that this is a vignette of what is taking place during the tribulation period. And remember that John is giving you a pictorial. Um, uh, drama, as it were. He's painting pictures of things that are going on on earth and things that are going on in heaven. And he's saying as a result of all of these people being saved, he's just giving you a flashback, basically, that this is what's going to happen as a result of these 144,000 evangelists going into all the world, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that the king is coming, etc., etc. These people get saved, and now they're seen, gathered before the throne. Uh, uh, So really, it's a... It's a um, a compressed picture. It doesn't give you the details of how, how the salvation came about, other than by the 144,000, how long it took. But it's just kind of a summary of these people standing before the throne. Uh, and the fact that they are in white and etc., uh, etc., cetera, et cetera, is talking about the end uh, when the, all the tribulation is over they'll stand before the throne dressed in white because they're now clothed in the righteousness of Christ because they've been made clean in the blood of Christ so that's what it's about it's standing before the the throne the the believer, standing before God in Christ in heaven the throne of the Lamb in heaven yeah
4: Um, in verse 14 let me see Uh, verse 15 Therefore, I lay before the Son of God and serve Him day and night uh-huh. in His temple, where this temple is.
1: Well, if you read the book of Hebrews, you discover that the tabernacle was made after pattern on, on earth of what is in heaven. And uh, currently, there is a temple uh, that was duplicated, as it were, in the form of the tabernacle remember that Moses was told make it after the pattern that he was shown and in the book yeah. of Hebrews we also told that Christ went with his blood and offered it on the eternal eternal altar so there is some kind of a uh, in heaven there some kind of a uh, a temple that the bible talks about that apparently exists in heaven but all the details about that is not uh, given in any you know in in, in, in um in great detailed clarity, but we do know that we have the kind of framework that this is what happens in the as a matter of fact, the whole book of Revelation uh, you'll find that the sea before the throne is like the laver before the throne, you can actually take a if we had time to go to the book of Revelation you could almost see that you also have the uh, something, the candlesticks, etc, etc, it's as though it's, it's a pattern of what was in heaven was made on earth during the when they were doing the tabernacle so there is apparently a temple in heaven
4: yes because I think one verse of scripture in Revelation says and the temple of God was open in heaven
1: correct and then you see the angels with the the four beasts standing the cherubims etc etc so yes there is and, and again that's where as I said if you check the the book of hebrews you check the book of exodus when the when the tabernacle was being built clearly he was given a pattern of things in heaven and uh, that what was be- made on earth was a duplicate of what really existed in heaven so there's there's a temple in heaven Okay, thank you. Have a good night. You too, sir. God bless you.
0: Thank you for listening from Nevis Nathan. We appreciate your call and continue to encourage others to tune in to That's Truth on Tuesday nights here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We are talking tonight about the topic of the Cult World Missionary Society, Church of God. Pastor... How do they view themselves, or what is their role in the world?
1: Well, if you go to their website, and there's a website you can get, they said that they are the only church that God has established on earth.
0: It's a sign of a cult, right? <laughs> it is a cult.
1: That is one of the exclusive community of the saved. Is one of the marks. They're always claiming that you know that whether it be the Jehovah's Witness or the Seventh Adventists or whatever, they all make that same exclusive community of the saved. That they're the unique ones supposed to restore true Christianity, etc. Et so they believe that um, they're especially in this end time, they're the ones that God has chosen to establish uh, the true church, and they're the only true church on, on, on the earth at this point in time.
0: As we've often done for previous cults, comparing their views on certain key doctrines and then comparing them to Christianity, anything you want to mention before we jump into comparing their teachings to that of the Bible?
1: Well, um, what I would say is that I thought it was rather strange. And by the way, I understand that the ladies here who are in Antigua trying to promote this, I understand they're very... Thoughtful, very kind, and very very courteous, and they seem to have an appeal. I think, in my judgment, part of the attraction of this whole thing is the feminist movement. The idea, you know, the only feminist movement. One of the things that they're trying to do is to go back, especially those who are not within the Christian uh, um, Christian thinking. They want to go back to the goddesses, the ancient goddesses, and I find that this this religion. When I, if you go online and you see the church and you see the amount of people that surround the church, it's like I mean, it's incredible. But seventy percent of its members are women. Mm-hmm. See. And I just think the attraction of having a female God, which is being pushed now, we are trying to degender the Bible as well, as you would know. They are trying to also feminize the Bible to make God a woman. Quite frankly, I think that this, all of this, is is converging to make this cult attractive to the modern mind, which is so departed from biblical truth that it doesn't even know truth from error any longer, and uh, is more attracted by uh, social policy, social changes that are happening. And if a religion can come to rope that in, I think that appeal is, is very attractive to people today.
0: I think this is a pertinent question, that there's a number of people that have this question. Does God have a gender? And if so, what gender is he? What gender is God?
1: All I can say to people is that uh, when you check the Bible, God always presents himself in the male gender. So, if I'm, masculine. if
0: I'm reading a translation in the Bible that has no gender associated with God,
1: like well, it, 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 it should not read it because the word, the the gender there, I mean, in the Hebrew language, is male gender. A, so, to to change that, you have no right to change that. You you have no right to call God a she when God is described as he, right? You are no, uh, you are no. Quite frankly, violating a basic biblical principle that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and that God has revealed to himself himself to us as he wants himself to be to be seen. what is man now to change that vision of that what God has given to him himself? that is audacity, it is arrogance, and quite frankly, I think it's apostasy.
0: Let's take some time and compare each of these doctrines uh, from what they are teaching and what the Bible says. Let's start with the doctrine of God.
1: Well, as I mentioned, the the doctrine of God, they uh, basically believe that God is male and God is female. And the argument that they got, if you go back to their their website, uh, for example... They say that they go back to Genesis and they show that in Genesis that God created man uh, in his image, male and female. And they they take that to mean that God has a female part of him and God has a male part of it, and therefore there has to be a male God and a female God, quite frankly. So that's where they get that that teaching from, that God is both male and female, and they go back to Genesis to prove that. The other thing is that uh, they take a passage in uh, Hebrews um, where it talks about Jerusalem above, and describe Jerusalem above as her. And uh, they say that again that that they tied it in with the female God because this woman uh, is this same. She's described as Jerusalem because uh there's a tangleness of the in, in trying to understand where they're trying to get all of this thing and that's why this there seem to be a contradiction there seem to be uh something irrational about it but they take the word her because it said uh jerusalem above this the, the word in the book is used the word her they take that feminine um gender and they apply that also to this lady who is now the mother god so it's a very strange theology, but again, they've been able to twist the Scripture to their own peculiar interpretation. Yet, when you read it yourself, how can it be referring to a woman on, on, down here on planet Earth? But that's a strange ability they have to distort Scripture and to twist it and, and spin it according to how they want it to be believed.
0: So if they're teaching on God... Is off. What about their teaching on Christ?
1: One other thing, Nathan. Yeah. Look at Genesis, uh, Revelation twenty two seventeen. Let me show you how they interpret this verse.
0: Revelation twenty two seventeen reads as follows: And the Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." Let them that heareth say, "Come." Let him that is the, or thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely.
1: You see, because they say that the founder uh, was both the father, the son, and the spirit, they say that this spirit here is their founder. Wow. And they claim, and he claimed that the bride is his wife. So that's how you got the mother and, and, and uh, the, uh, the father God, and now you got the mother God. So they take Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, as referring to the founder and returning to his wife. So you got the father God and you've got the mother God. Now, t- how can you take a scripture and twist it to give that bizarre interpretation? But that's what exactly what they've done.
0: Do they claim that he was sinless? Who? Their founder?
1: Well, he is the incarnation of Christ. In other words, he is the second coming of Christ. So you would have to be sinless. So he is Christ. He is. He is in other words, he's the second Christ. Who is, Christ is supposed to come the second time. And they're saying that he came as Christ, quite frankly. And now his wife is the mother. It's the most bizarre... How can people in a country like Antigua, who has been exposed to the Bible and the gospel for so long, or within the Caribbean, how can people ever entertain these weird, strange doctrines at this point? And it comes back to the same thing I'm saying. We are living in a modern age that is biblically illiterate and do not fully understand the biblical doctrines and are not uh, um, knowledgeable of the Scripture. And that's why... A cult like that can come to Antigua and get people to listen uh, to that kind of a teaching rather than just rejecting it well i I mentioned to you the a verse here, and let me just give it to you look at galatians four twenty six
0: Galatians chapter four and verse number twenty six says, But Jerusalem, which is above is free, which is the mother of us all
1: right. They take that uh, that same particular verse to say that it is uh, referring to this same Mother God. I, I want to read what they said in their their, their manual, so you can uh, their website. This is what they said: "He said God the Mother, who is represented as the wife of the Lamb in Revelation 17:5. So go back to look at Revelation 19:7 Revelation
0: Revelations 19:7. Nineteen seven says let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready
1: now look at Revelation 21 9.
0: revelation 21 9 and there came unto me one of the seven angels which had seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying come hither I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife.
1: Now, remember that in, in Revelation 21, Jerusalem is coming down with the bride. Do you remember that? Okay, yeah. They they take that particular verse, right? That's where they get the Jerusalem in, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 26, yeah. and uh, Revelation chapter 21. That's the bride, you see? So they figure that Jerusalem above was the... It's the most distorted and contorted interpretation I've ever heard, but that have allowed them to take galatians four six revelations tw- nineteen seven revelation twenty one nine and come up with the idea that this is the mother god that the bible talked about in these passages of scripture uh, <laughs> and the, the argument that they used by the way why you need this mother god they said that all living things including humans receive life from mothers, so if you're going to get spiritual life. You've got you to have to a come mother. to I have to come to a mother, and she is a mother of God that will give you spiritual life. She's the one to give you the living water. By the way,
0: <laughs> trying to use man's logic to uh, put God in a box.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I found myself smiling and trying not to laugh at some of the uh, not that it's funny, but just I, I was not expecting that definition of God and. To use that many verses connected together to uh, twist that doctrine what did they say about christ
1: well again christ basically um came already so this this gentleman who founded the church he is, is christ but he is christ returned uh, as a new christ second coming yeah second coming so basically they're saying that this gentleman is christ quite frankly but they believe that Christ came first, but he's now come back in this man's form, so this man is Christ basically, and that's why they use the Bible like you would use the Bible. So they don't they don't question that what the gospel teach that this was Christ. But their argument is that the Bible said he will come a second time, and he came a second time uh, in the form of Ang Sai Hong. Uh, who founded the church, that he is the Christ, quite frankly.
0: Did their founder claim to be Christ, or they appointed him as Christ after he had passed
1: away? He claimed to be Christ, okay. and they followed too, but they added—they didn't have the doctrine of the Mother God before him. But they added that new doctrine as the Mother God. So you got a Father God, and you got a Mother God. And as I said before, Nathan, I really think that... This is a movement that is trying to add a lot of elements that they pro- have proven successful with other religions. The mother concept of the God, Mary, as a God, I think they realized that this was successful. We must add this element. Well, we all know Father God is, is there as well, but they're also going to add other features as well uh, to the con- con- the idea. Remember Herbert W. Armstrong, World War, that was a yeah. movement growing until he died, and his idea of God being a family, that's the whole idea that they're trying to create and then of course the emphasis on the sabbath which we'll come to very popular they added that element as well so it's taken all of these elements together it's as though they took the premier elements of these different movements to create this growing mushrooming form of religion
0: obviously we don't have enough time to discuss in depth this uh, cult tonight but pastor in the last 20 seconds If I run into someone that is part of the Missionary Society Church of God this week, how should I defend Christianity?
1: Well, I think one of the best things to do is to deal with the doctrine of Christ, first of all, and to um, deal with Christ in the context of the passage itself to try to make clarification, especially when it comes to the Second Coming. I would go to Second Coming verses to help them understand the biblical teaching on this subject.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's program.